Pride, 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 pride. Today is Friday, May 5th, 2023, time for episode 190 of the Barnhart Podcast. And it's been, like I said on the last podcast, it's been less than a month since our last podcast. We're, we're doing wow. this again. Our tempo we're, is increasing. We're doing, we're, we're doing well. Eventually, we'll be back up to once every 10 days. Yes, sir. Well, that's that's the goal. Yeah, or, or shorter. I mean, there was or once, shorter, upon a, or once a week. Yeah. Once upon a time, we were doing two podcasts a week. Do you remember that? Back in the day, man. That's way back in the day. Back, yeah. in, the, in, back fact, in the first year. We just, I think we just celebrated the sixth anniversary. Um, I, it seems to me that I was going back and looking for something um, on the blog and what had it sorted by month and year, you know, and I, for some reason, I was in either April or May. It must have been April of 2017. And there it was, episode number one. So I think we just celebrated our sixth anniversary. I know it was 2017, and I know it was somewhere between April and June. And I remember that the first podcast we recorded, I was so proud of my audio setup and then realized I was going through the laptop speaker or microphone instead of the actual microphone I thought I was using. <laughs> I've come a long way since then in my audio quality. Yes, you have. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> but yeah, that that was... That was that was fun. Yeah, I remember you, you emailed me sometime in March that year saying, hey, people are telling me I need, need to do a podcast. Is that something you can help me with? Like, yes, I can. I've done that before. Yes, <laughs> so, I can. Yeah. so, yes, that's kind of up you, my alley. And the rest is history. And this is this is a fun segue because you and oh, by the way, Nurse Claire, are you there, dear? Hi. Thank Hello. you for having me. Thank you for coming again. <laughs> it's always fun. I'm surprised you came back because last on the last episode I was so rude and we went right to the to the outro and didn't say thank you goodbye wave wave wave. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I didn't we even done, notice. Like, oh, we, we didn't we didn't say goodbye. I asked her if she had anything else to say and she said no, she was done. So I, I just did it on behalf oh. of Nurse Claire. This is super, super nerd. Okay, okay, okay. But I know that you guys are both um, you're both um, No Agenda podcast fans. The what are what do they call their listeners? Just producers. Well, producers, producers. But you have to you have to be a person who gives them money to actually be a producer, right? You have to be a, a donor. No, there's there's a there's a three part uh, thing that Adam came up with. Adam Curry, that is, is time, talent, and treasure. So if you donate time so to do research, for example, uh, if somebody did a massive amount of research on a topic and emailed Adam and gave him a, a full brain dump on something and allowed allowed Adam to sound really intelligent because of somebody else's work, that's definitely a time donation. Oh, talent yeah. is uh, if you were to uh, donate one of your talents. So one of the things on No Agenda at the very end of the show, there's a lot of producer mixes. So there are some very musical producers um, they, they will come up with musical mixes on every single show. Some of the producers come up with jingles. Um, they, they, and these are professional jingles. If you've never heard No Agenda, they're, they're, the one that boggles my mind still, one of the guys, I think he's from Nashville, did a jingle for If You See Something, Say Something, which if if DHS had paid for that, it would be like a six to seven figure fee to come up with this. And he just did it for free wow. for No Agenda. I mean, it's it's that, I mean, that's, he he is a professional musician, so the fact that he, yeah. he's able to whip this out, no no big deal. And then the last of the, of the three T's is treasure. So if you want to mm-hmm. give money, 
then that's obviously makes you a producer as well. And they, they did this based on the, the Hollywood model where if, if you want to invest in something in Hollywood, you can become an executive producer just by funding the operation. And so that's one of the things they do there. And I've kind of stolen a little bit of the concept there by, by recognizing the donors here on the No Agenda show. They, they do that as well. Mm-hmm. And and um, I just don't break it out in t- into tiers like executive producer, associate executive producer, and then the third tier. Um, it's just everybody's named here. And which reminds me, on the last podcast, I completely missed the opportunity to do a Rick James donation again. Oh, we, we had Rick. It's our, our favorite Rick who <laughs> donates frequently. It was a different James yeah. this time. And and that's why I didn't think to to uh, link them together as a Rick James donation. So missed opportunities. You're just, but, you're, you're just a super freak. That's all I can say, man. That's all yeah, I can exactly. say. But back to back to no agenda. They they um, made the decision a while back to not to refer to their listeners as mere listeners or audience, but producers, because uh, just the all all of the insight they get from everybody in, in all the different walks of life, whether it's um, if they're talking about an aviation topic, they've got professional um, professional pilots for the airlines or even just uh, you know, charter pilots. Uh, they, they can sometimes, some of the stories they're talking about, they were there in the airspace and heard ATC and yeah. what they were talking about. If they're talking about uh, government operations, there's a lot of people in the government who uh, covertly with uh, encrypted email will, will send in notes. Uh, if it's something about um, radical traditional Catholics, I mean, there are some people... Um, maybe I'm one of them who sent in emails with with specific uh, subject matter expertise to uh, talk about it. So in in net, um, so many of the listeners contributing what they know and what they have and and what they can contribute with regard to their talents, um, they, they, they kind of all produce the show. So that's why they refer to them all as producers. So the reason I brought this up is that there's, it's twofold. Um, The first is it, it still absolutely blows my mind that, you know, the guy that I grew up watching on MTV as a, as a kid in the eighties is like saying my name on, on, on his show. But one of our listeners made a donation to the no agenda podcast and got this kind of, you know, rather extensive shout out. And you super nerd had made a, a jingle for when someone who is who, who is referred from the Barnhart podcast gives a donation to the No Agenda podcast, you made a jingle for that. Yes, I did. Was, do you have it? Can you do it? Do I you do. And if you keep talking, to... if you talk for about thirty-three more seconds, I'll have it queued up. Absolutely. So, yeah, Adam Curry. For those of you in the listenership, I bet a lot of you know exactly who he is. He's the guy who was a VJ on MTV back in the early days in the 1980s who had that, who has the big mane of blonde hair. Um, Really cool guy. And um, so now he, he is the father of podcasting. He invented the form. I think he coined the term, the whole nine yards. And he, the no agenda podcast is, is him. Adam Curry is his name. And his his partner is a man named John C. Dvorak, and so there's another there's another part to the, to all of this. So not only are there now a bunch of people who listen to this podcast who are who have been turned on to the No Agenda podcast and occasionally give them donations, but we have a little crusade here because Super Nerd has been in contact with Adam Curry and and John C. Dvorak for probably years now actually i've been in i've been in very mild contact 
another thing that blows my mind, you know, I have Adam Curry's email address. <laughs> I've emailed with the guy. There was before the Corona scam started, there was a mild, very mild talk of Adam Curry and I getting together in person and meeting each other. And maybe, maybe someday that'll happen again. I don't know. We'll see. That would be an awesome uh, interview. I know you guys would have a ton to talk about and it would be triple bonus if, if Texas Slim and, and somebody from the Meat Mafia got mixed in with that because I know you're down Ooh. with the cattle markets. And, exactly. See, uh-huh. Nurse Claire uh-huh. knows about this. But yeah, so I, I, I helped set up the, or I, I produced this this little jingle that uh, somebody, I mentioned on a previous podcast that if you were going to make a, a, a donation to the No Agenda podcast, email me and I'll send you this to attach to your donation. And somebody did. And so when, when they made their donation, um, Adam played this this uh, this jingle. Barnhart donation. And why is it not playing? Oh, hold on. You did. I, I heard it. Nurse Claire, did you hear it? I heard it loud and clear. Loud and clear. Do it again. Do it again. (laughs) Okay, one more time. Barnhart donation. (laughs) There's a there's a delay on my side. That's very weird because I'm the one producing it. So (laughs) technology. Anyway, so an allegory in there somewhere, but I can't quite come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the, one of the Barnhart listeners and, and previous donors, uh, sent, sent that in with his donation. And what I thought was, was, uh, made me chuckle is that when, when Adam played that he's, he typically he'll, if you send him jingles to play, he he'll cue them up, but he won't listen to them ahead of time. And he, he kept reading as the, as he played the donation, or as he played the jingle and he just stopped and started laughing because, because of the, uh, um, the, the, he, he found it funny. And, uh, Dvorak also, the, he commented on the, the, um, the cash register jing on the end the of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yes, and Anna's, then, Anna's very excited that her voice is now part of the no agenda podcast. That's just extremely weird. It, it's, and if you want to tie it into some sort of a theological concept, it all goes, it goes into the whole, idea and notion of the economy of grace and the and the communion of saints and how we end up just having these absolutely mind-blowing um connections and attachments and intersections with people that you would never in a million years ever think that you would ever meet or have anything to do with and the reason i bring this up is can we talk about this super nerd i mean we've openly talked about the fact that we're doing a a prayer i mean we're trying to get both of these guys into the church and curry announced that he's officially christian or has reverted to christianity yeah and, and there's there's a video going around about the, about the the baptism he had recently and i think that i sent that to both of you and the the words that were used at the point of his baptism were we baptize you so i have oh, to one i have to uh, wonder about that but also cringe. yeah i know but he but in when when he was the the pastor or whoever who, who was doing the baptism mentioned that his wife tina had been baptized two weeks previous like well hold on i know from previous listening to episodes that tina was raised catholic so clearly this is a a um, Christian group who rebaptizes whether they know it or not. Um, I didn't hear anything about if you are capable then I baptize you. But uh, so yeah, so there yeah. is that and it's possible that Adam had been baptized earlier in life. I don't know. But uh, yeah, definitely prayers, you know, <laughs> accelerate calling on on tiny princess like um can you kick it up yeah. a notch or two on this one? I mean he's he's definitely open to the truth and with a capital T. Um which 
I really hope Dvorak never hears this, but uh, I emailed him after uh, a podcast a couple of weeks ago because the topic of radical traditionalism came up and, and he mentioned something about you know, not going to the Catholic, uh, the Catholic mass as it is now. And I emailed him and, and mentioned that just 10, 15 minutes down the freeway from him as an Institute of Christ, the King parish, where if yeah. he wanted to go to the authentic Catholic church, as it always was, if, if he was young enough to, to remember the, the Latin mass, it, that's what it still is. The same as it was in the 1950s, 1550s, the five fifties, it was the same mass. Yep. And unfortunately he replied churches for sinners. Which, which is 100% true, but it, it is, it's, it's one of those things you look at. It's one of those instances where somebody says something and they're speaking the truth, but they said it in a snarky way and they don't realize they're saying the truth. It's the example that I give about, you know, like the Jews crying out, um, give, a, give us Barabbas, give us the son of the father and let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And our Lord said, yes, I, okay, I will, I will absolutely do that, <laughs> you know, so... Um, yeah, he said it, he meant it, he meant it in the not, in the not good sense at all. But the words that he said were 100% true. That's the way I took it. But, but the other thing that he'd also said there was, was thank you for the prayers. And, and so the, the fact that that was, uh, just this past Sunday that this, this exchange happened. And so he, he's thankful for the prayers, but at the same time, at the moment, he's not open to going back to the church or to the mass. Um, so definitely opportunity for prayer there. Well, we, we have an, we have an agent in the beatific vision who, who, who has, can work on these things. So St. Tiny Princess, pray for the conversion or reversion, if they're already baptized, of Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak and get them all the way into the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church so that we can all sit around in the beatific vision together and do heavenly podcasts together <laughs> the big the big podcast in the sky as it were <laughs> although we, we will be too wrapped with the beatific vision to want to do anything else it's it's true we descriptions of heaven are always completely inadequate but everybody knows what we mean <laughs> we've got to i don't know i think i think we get to interact with each other and you know we get to praise God together in interaction with each other and we'll get to see, see and recognize other people. So, you know, there's gotta be some sort of interaction there. That was, that was something that I remember from one of my religion classes, oh, goodness, a long time ago, uh, was talking about the qualities of, of the resurrected body. And one of them was agility, meaning that as fast as you can think about another place, your body can go there. And, and one of the things that the, the priest was musing about was, obviously there's a purpose for this or, or it wouldn't be given to us. And we were try, trying to, you know, kind of musing about what, what do you think the purpose for this is? And one of the ideas that came to mind was what if, you know, for eternity, we're having like the equivalence of like pilgrimages, uh, whether it's in Jerusalem or in Rome or for some reason in New York, uh, just as fast as you can think about it, you can be there and, and, and worshiping in the same sense that the angels, no matter where a mass is being offered at any given point in time, there are legions and choirs of angels present at every single mass. And it doesn't, mm -hmm. they don't need to book a, a, a flight on American airlines to get there. It's just as, <laughs> as fast as they think about it, they're there. They, they are where, where they think they, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, their presence is, is where their, their mind affects things because they don't have that spiritual 
Um, they don't have that physical boundary. They, they are pure spirits. The cool thing about humans in the resurrected state is that even though we have that theoretical limitation of physics uh, of having matter and occupying space, we're not going to be bound by it because the spirit will take take uh, priority on that. So in terms of what, what the, the what the eternity is going to be like in heaven, I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. I mean, St. Paul said it's it's better than you can imagine. Well, our Lord said it's better than you can imagine. Um, I mean, every, everybody's on the same page here. And it's it's a fascinating thing to sit and, and contemplate. And it's very sad. There are people who just can't, can't see what possible benefit there could be to any of this and falling for the world's lies. And, you know, you, sh- you should do whatever you want to do here on earth because there's nothing after this. That's, a, you know, a subset of soul annihilationism, which um, Jorge Bergoglio, the anti-pope, is 100% all in on soul annihilationism. That, you know, you're here and then when you die, whoop, lights out and there's, and there's nothing. There's just absolute annihilation of your of your existence, and so the argument is is you should just do what you want to do here, and and what what possible what possibly could there be um, that you're driving towards? And the only honest answer that anybody can give is that God Himself, incarnate two thousand years ago, walking around on the earth, kept saying, "Look, it's so good." I can't even begin to describe to you how good it is going to be. You just need to take my word for it on this, that it's beyond absolutely anything you could possibly imagine good. Um, and just just trust me on this. You have no idea what it is that I have waiting for you. It's that good. And you just you stop and think about that. And then I was thinking... Um, not too long ago, because there's there's constantly these questions about what what happens to babies and aborted babies who die and and little children who die and are unbaptized and well you know the Catholic Church teaches that they they go to hell well they go they go to limbo which is a domain that is outside of the beatific vision and is therefore within the big domain set of hell, but it's not torment. There, little aborted babies do not burn an eternal torment in hell. It's just that they're outside of the beatific vision. Well, why, why doesn't God just let them into the beatific vision? Well, because we're human beings and we are fallen and we're not owed that. Nobody is owed the beatific vision. Again, because taking our Lord's words, it's so unbelievably good to be indwelling inside of the Trinity itself that I mean this is just this is just so so beyond any any comprehension of good. We're not entitled to that. Even even little babies, we're not entitled to that. Even if you've not committed any personal sin, which a little baby hasn't you're still not entitled to the beatific vision because the beatific vision is infinitely good. So little babies, children who have committed no personal sin and die unbaptized, they're in, they're in limbo, which is just natural happiness. 
but they're not they're not being tormented as you know souls in hell that have died you know denying denying god and and with sins on their conscience that they are completely unrepentant of etc cetera, etc cetera. the hell of the damned is one thing limbo is another and limbo is is it's described by the church as natural happiness but it's not the beatific vision so you know all of these things come into play and but the base premise that you have to and it's like i said it's one of those things that you cannot get your head around you there's a there's an overarching intellectual very broad description of it as being heaven is incredibly fantastically infinitely good it's so good that you can't even possibly imagine how good it is that's about that's about all we can say um and in a certain sense it has to stay that way um because there is again the question of coercion and love and all of that you know he's god is 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 a smitten lover and he he wants us to love him without any coercion and i mean coercion and love are mutually exclusive so if you start coercing in either way coercing in the in the obviously in the bad sense well that cancels love but then in, there's also in another sense if you're coercing people um with if you showed them if you showed them the beatific vision well then it's so good that no created being once seeing and entering the beatific vision could ever turn away from it even even the angels and that's why that's why the angels the whole fall and all of that happened at the very very beginning of the existence of the angels they were given the choice are you in do you, do you choose god yes would you like to enter the beatific vision or no and that's where lucifer and a third of them said no we don't we won't serve we will not serve and we don't approve of this situation and this plan and we don't approve of you know the incarnation happening through a human woman and etc cetera, etc cetera. and that that's but they even they had to be before they entered the beatific vision the holy mother church teaches that teaches this before the angels entered the beatific vision they had to be given the choice because if if you let a created rational intellect which is angels and human beings if you let someone enter the beatific vision and they they can't ever 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 turn away from it so i don't know if coercion is the right word but in a certain sense the choice is gone the ability for a, a rational intellect to make make a choice to say no is then gone well the and will they, is fixed yeah and and so that therefore love cannot be genuine authentic love on our part it would there would be a there would be a a i get i there's got to be a better word than coercion but that's the only one i can come up with right now there, there would be a coercion there it's a mystery of free will and and in terms of you know the will being fixed once you encounter the beatific vision it's like um if you're playing a game of three card monty and you know the one on the right is the correct card no matter how you how you discovered that that was the the right and winning card once you know that your will is fixed you're not going to pick the other two yeah and and 
with regard to the angels, they got one chance. And, and yeah. they, they, there was one opportunity to, there, there was a test that was given to them that much as dogmatic, uh, Dave, did. Yeah. We don't know for sure what the test was. There are a lot of excellent speculations and hypotheses from the church doctors, but they're not unanimous and there's no uh, required assent on what exactly the test was. Uh, but a test was given and one third of the angels rejected uh, God and two thirds of them accepted it. And so the two thirds went to heaven, the one third went away. Now, a lot of people would look at that and say, well, that's pretty mean. They only got one opportunity and they failed it. But this is to misunderstand what the nature of an angel is. To, yeah. change the, to change the analogy a little bit, if you go to a used car dealership and, some, and, and the salesman sells you on a, I don't know, a, a, a Pontiac, um, I almost said Pontiac Corvette, that's not the right one, Firebird, a Pontiac Firebird and talks it up and it's, it's it, in all the awesome opportunities it could be, but you're not a mechanic Maybe you're just a cattle broker. Um, may, in other words, you, you don't know you don't know what you're looking at necessarily. You, you see the shape of the car. You see it's attractive. It seems good to the senses. Um, and you say, okay, great. Then I buy this. Now imagine the difference between that situation where you might regret it later because you then learn later there might have been something wrong with the engine. There might have been wrong, something wrong with the exhaust. The, everything is secondhand, et cetera, et cetera, versus a mechanic who, who, can, who can take one look at a car and now suspend disbelief for a minute. Imagine yeah. there's somebody, a mechanic, who can take one look at the car and know everything there is to know about that car down to the atomic level. Yeah. If he makes a decision decision one way or the other, and I know I'm being genderistic about this to say it's a he, but if the person makes a decision about <laughs> yeah. this one, one way or the other, that decision is not going to change because he knows the nature of the car at that point. It's the same as without, going back to my example. Actually, without actually entering into the car, he's looking at he's looking at it from the outside. Or, or he has information about it. I think that's the key. The key word there is that the the angels were given just a, just as much information, I suppose, as you could be given about the triune Godhead without actually entering into inside of the triune Godhead, which is what the beatific vision is. So, yeah, they knew they knew the amount of information that they had was just. <sighs> one doesn't even understand how how the fall with the angels could happen. What Lucifer uh, pride, 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 pride. Pride blinds with, even the angels. Pride blinds yep. even the the highest of the angels. Which, for yep. us lowly humans, we need to take that as a as a note of caution and 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 be humble. Yeah. So, that's speaking the, of corrections, um, <laughs> we got an email. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We got an email, and this this comes this goes back about six weeks. Uh, hello, in a recent podcast, I heard you talking about aliens, and although I don't remember your exact words, you were talking about the closest star is so far away, we couldn't possibly be visited by a anyone coming from outer space or something to that effect. I just want to let you know you're misinformed. The Earth is flat. There's no such thing as space. Have a nice day. <laughs> I had forgotten about that one. <laughs> Oh, the email box is just is just a constant constant source of amusement. Yes, and and yes, anytime we bring up anything like that, who who all is there? There's the flat earther contingent. Um, I don't think this person was being entirely serious, or at least I hope they're not being entirely serious. Going back to the whole idea of judging by appearances versus uh, apprehending everything in its totality, I I took that as a tongue in cheek. I. 
hope that's the case. But uh, if it's not, please don't <laughs> please don't harangue me and 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 um, be angry about it. But I laughed when I read that. It's like okay, I'm marking this. We've got to talk about this on the podcast at some point because that's just too funny. No, I mean no. Seriously, every time anything like space, the moon, <laughs> any of that is brought up, then you know you, I get I get a stream of emails from people saying. The, the earth is flat, blah, blah, blah. Um, the other one that's interesting is geocentrism, that the earth is at the center of creation. That is an interesting, that is a fascinating thing to look at and to comprehend. And I've, I've been of the opinion for a long time that, you know, obviously we look out and the that James Webb Space Telescope, I'm convinced that they are going to rue the day that they put that thing up there. But it just keeps blowing every um, every ridiculous presumption that they've had about about the universe and the age of the universe and the quote-unquote Big Bang and all this kind of stuff. I mean, they're just... Every image that comes out of that thing is just is just blowing all of their minds and proving approving a lot of their their uh, suppositions about things and by them i mean um um cosmologists and astrophysicists and all that that they're wrong about a lot of stuff the thing about the earth being at the center is that um this would seem to be confirmed by observation that the the universe is, appears to be exactly the same stuff is it, it as far as we can see, the depth of things that we can see when looking through any of these telescopes, it's the same. It's the same in every direction. So that observationally implies that we would be at the center of it. The other thing is, is that the whole notion of movement and rotation and everything—that's all just a matter of perspective. Um, you know, you could you could describe movements and rotations and orbits in in multiple different ways mathematically. And so, yeah, you absolutely could set up a mathematical framework whereby the Earth is fixed in the center and then everything else is moving rel relative to the Earth. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that at all. Um, it's, it's it, again, it's just, all, it's all a matter of how you set up the math and how you set the how you set the angles and the vectors and everything up, you can, you can certainly make that case. The other thing I would hasten to remind people is that it probably isn't, this isn't something that is going to be the, the turning point in, in the linchpin question into whether or not anyone makes it through their particular judgment. I think it's absolutely fascinating to look at this stuff and study the natural universe. And it only, it only augments my faith. It never takes away from my faith. The more they learn, the better and better it gets. And the more the more it seems to confirm the Genesis narrative, and we've talked about this recently and all that. I think it's wonderful and fascinating, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like when our Lord made all foods kosher, and he said, look, it really doesn't matter what you put in. What matters is what comes out of your mouth, you know, and so that's that's the thing that I think you need to be focused and worried about and not, not the nature of the mathematics that describes the rotation of, of heavenly bodies with relation to the earth i mean it's 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 an interesting question but i don't think it's an essential question and and to go to galileo for a minute uh he he obviously was a scientist in fact he was hired by uh i think it was cardinals in rome if i'm not mistaken he was hired by the church to do astronomical sciences 
and where he got in trouble wasn't what he was proposing about the natural sciences and the and, and astronomy. It was that he was then making theological assertions based on what he had observed or what he thought he had learned about astronomy. And that was the no-no. When it, when it comes to whatever it is, you and know, he was, about- he was, he was also a jerk and he ran his mouth and he, and he was jerky about it. And they said, Hey man, you know, can you, can you just tone this down and, you know, quit insulting, insulting the papacy and insulting the Pope and doing all this stuff. And, and he just kept running his mouth. So he didn't he didn't do himself any favors. So but go on, go on. Well, I was gonna say that anybody who honestly studies the subject will find out that the church never condemned his science. It was the theology he was proclaiming as a result of what he understood about his science. And with where this ties into geocentrism is it may be true. I don't know. I'm I I have a a biased perspective standing on the the surface of the earth. So I I don't really know if it's true or not. I've also heard theories that geocentrism was a theological idea. Earth is the center of the universe because this is where Jesus came to redeem mankind. That is Mm -hmm. the moral center of the universe, whether it's the physical center or not. I could see that either way. And these are the kinds of things that we're going to be able to uh, explore in detail when we get to heaven and we have our bodies joined together with our spirits again, and we have that gift of agility, we can, we can go to the physical center of the universe and say, okay, am I standing on earth? No. Okay. Let me go back to earth. Or maybe we are there. Maybe Jerusalem is really the literal center of the universe. We don't know that yet. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not, but whether it is or not, doesn't affect whether or not we adhere to the faith or not. And whether we accept what the church teaches is true. Mm-hmm. That's that's the more essential point here, and and uh, there's something about Saint Augustine. Um, somebody email me and correct me on or or recite the the thing here. That um, when when uh, scientific observation changes what we thought had to be true based on uh, theological understanding, then it is it is possible to reinterpret theology in the in the case or in in, in light of objective truth. But there, that's a very loaded statement also. You can't just say, hey, I observed something, therefore we have to change theology. No, it's truth. Truth being the correlation between what I observed and what I think is going on based on this observation and what really is. Because no one has ever made a mistake based off of initial observations of anything. <laughs> no. This goes back to the, <laughs> the story of buying a used car. I mean, has anybody ever bought a used car and regretted it? Speaking speaking of science and observations, Nurse Claire, what's the latest on the on the um, on the healthcare front? What's what's new and what's shaking in the in your world over there? Well, I suppose before we get into anything current, I should make my correction from the last episode. So, I have received information that vitamin D three was just by prescription. I saw when I read. The information I read quickly and I saw by prescription only, um, which isn't exactly accurate. What happened in Canada is um, they have restricted the amount you can buy over the counter. So anything higher than 2,500 international units of vitamin D3, you have to have a prescription for. So, um, Which I is a tiny, cur- tiny, tiny dose, right? Um, yes, it's more than, I'm sorry, it's less, far less than what I take on a daily basis. So 
Yes. I take fi- I take 15,000 and when I'm sick I take 50,000 and there's yes. there the Canadian threshold is 2500. I mean it's 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 trivial. It would it would if you were sick or you needed it, it would have basically no effect, right? Well, I take 5,000 every other day, so 2500 a day sounds about right. I mean you, the numbers you're citing, Anne, kind of makes me scratch my head and saying, "Are you sure you're taking? You should be taking that much." I'm not a doctor, and Doctor Beep isn't here, so um, more is the pity. But um, my understanding was that that the amount per pill, or the yeah, the the dose per pill you could buy in Canada was reduced without a prescription, but there wasn't a limit on how many you could buy. Was that correct? That's that's my understanding. I don't know if there's a limit on how many you can buy, but there is a limit on the dosage. Um, I take 10,000 units a day. Um, and then if I'm sick, I increase that. I have taken 50,000 units a day for several days if I'm actively sick. So, um, as we've talked about before, people should or can have their blood levels checked intermittently to make sure they're not taking too much. But, uh, people that take 5,000 units a day, I think that's probably the bare minimum you should be taking, especially in light of the fact that our food supply has such a huge impact on um, vitamin D. Uh, We know that high fructose corn syrup and high um, carbohydrate, high sugars definitely inactivates vitamin D inside of your body and its ability to be utilized. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that the the 2,500 unit cap in Canada is pretty sketchy. Yeah. It sounds like it. It's yeah, you you can technically have this and we're not going to make it illegal, but and also I think maybe they're trying like uh, I think when we were chatting nurse Claire, you made the point that okay, if you've got these pills or whatever it is and it's only got 2500 IUs, so in order to get the dose that I'm taking, which is 15,000 that would be for six. So, I mean, we're, we're now getting into the domain of like taking a fistful of pills, which right. intelligent people are reluctant to do ever. And even, even if they intellectually understand that this pill, which is exactly the same size as this pill over here, the one on the left has 2,500 international units in it, and the one on the right has 15,000 international units in it. And so therefore, if you took six of the one on the left, then it would be the same thing as one of the one on the right. You still don't want to take a fistful of pills. And that's that's a good thing. As a human being, you should not ever want to take a fistful of anything if you don't have to. But I think that they're taking advantage of that and they're messing with people's minds and saying, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, no, these people are taking these horrible overdoses. When in fact, I think that the literature just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger on vitamin D, which we right. talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Yes. So that was, that was, they didn't completely outlaw it, but they just changed it to anything more than 2,500 international unit per pill. You need, you need, you a, need prescription a prescription. For? Okay. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. Okay. Which is, <laughs> okay. Which is kind of a psyop. I mean, it's kind of a mental, yeah. like you said, you know, you're putting people in this situation where in order to get an effective dose, they have to literally take a handful of these capsules. And that has a psychological impact on people that they feel like they're doing something wrong. And in the same 
with limiting the dose to 2,500 over the counter, then it's kind of a psyop, you know, ooh, if I'm taking more, I better, I better check with the doctor. Um, So, yeah. Well, it got super nerd to fall for that line. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail everything. (laughs) And okay, so there was the vitamin D. There's the um, it, there's the 1,151 days of flattening the curve, or is was it 1,141? I don't know, but we're well <laughs> over the thousand day mark. So I would like to ask if the curve is flat yet. Apparently, it is because the World Health Organization has declared that the pandemic is over. Um. So I guess we, congratulations, we flattened the curve. Yes. And Rochelle Walensky has resigned from the CDC. So she has successfully fulfilled her role of providing lots of actual misinformation about the pandemic. Um, And we, we knew that we knew on this podcast, how much of this was a scam from the beginning. But um, across my transom, was it today or yesterday? I came across another, just one more example you can add to the whole litany of ways that we've been manipulated, lied to, and scammed throughout the course Mm -hmm. of this whole thing. So in Australia, they have something, uh, there's an acronym for it now, I can't remember. uh, hospital in the home, H-I-T-H, hospital in the home. So in Australia, apparently, you can count as a hospitalized patient, even if you're in your home, if you're receiving some form of home care. And they expanded that hospital in the home coverage to unvaccinated people who tested positive for COVID. If you were unvaccinated in Australia, and you tested positive for COVID, you would get a phone call from a doctor or a nurse and then subsequent daily text messages. And that enrolled you in this hospital in the home program. Even if you tested positive and you were one of these asymptomatic people and you had to quarantine and you were inside of your house, you would still get these phone calls and text messages from physicians and nurses and you were counted in the numbers as a hospitalized, hospitalized. unvaccinated oh. patient. <laughs> so, I mean, it just, and it's all coming out now, um, which is interesting. We're, we're now going to see the demolition of all of this. And in fact, uh, Peter Navarro said today that Fauci and Pfizer lied to President Trump about the vaccines by not revealing to him that the mRNA technology was what was used. So this will be how Trump will absolve himself from warp speed and pushing the vaccines. It's all collapsing now. Um, The mandates are being lifted, the vaccine mandates for healthcare workers, all of that's gonna go away. They're quietly taking it all away. Um, but the damage has been done and exactly yeah. the precedent's been set. The precedent yeah. has been set. And you see how easily people around you went along with all of this, how many people um, gave into it, um, didn't question it. And there's still the true believers out there walking around oh, with absolutely their there big are. bad yep. N95 masks on. So, well, and, I think, and literal yeah. tattoos about the dates they received the jab. 
Yes. Date of their baptism because it is a religion and that was, it's a faux religion and that was a faux sacrament. That was a faux sacrament of initiation. It was, I think it was you, Nurse Claire, you um, sent a link of, and it's from, is it from Pfizer or is it from Moderna? I think it's from Moderna. It's from their website. It's a page on their website. And it is this massive laundry list of all of these now new quote unquote mRNA injections that they are developing. Mm -hmm. And and one of them, the one that absolutely jumped off the page at me was personalized cancer vaccine. You know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean if you don't go get a Moderna personalized cancer vaccine when you get cancer they're gonna say no you don't get any treatment because you could have gone and gotten the vaccine against cancer and now we we can't um allocate resources to you because because they've already set the precedent of doing that with people you know I believe it was Australia, New Zealand, places like that where they were telling people unless unless you're vaccinated you don't get any well, we're we have that here you. in the United States too. Um, yeah, to a certain extent, organ transplants yeah. were actively being withheld from people unless they were vaccinated. We had um, people who were willing to donate their kidney to a family member, or friend, or whatever, and donors were not even permitted to donate if they weren't vaccinated. Um, People couldn't enter hospice care. I mean, how ridiculous is that? People couldn't enter long-term care facilities unless they would get vaccinated. So you're, if you have someone with profound dementia whose family can't care for them at home and they need to be inside of a facility to assist with their care, you're now going to turn that person out on the street because they don't get a vaccine? It's, it's well, I mean, well, so that, the again, the precedent's been set dying of stage four pancreatic cancer you need somewhere to go to die that's what hospice is you know it's if you if you're if you're in the process of dying and it's a done deal you need somewhere to go you don't just you know what do you you just want people to to lay at home and die and uh, especially people who live alone well, what, you just wait till the body starts stinking and, and the neighbors call the police and the dogs are howling all the time? I mean, what, what, they, okay, the person is dying. Why in the world would they need a vaccine against a chest cold? I mean, it's just, it's, un, it's, it's so catastrophically stupid that you just, you just sit here and shake your head and wonder how it is that humanity got to this point. But, oh, that's another thing we talked about on the, the last episode is how people are getting getting dumber overall not smarter not smarter yeah. it's just the fact that the population is so much bigger and we have a bigger pool to draw from but people on the whole are getting dumber not smarter and this is all examples of that oh but there there is a ray of sunshine there is a little bit of good news talking about you know drugs and all that kind of good stuff I will send a link and we'll put it in the show notes that New Hampshire is on the cusp of making ivermectin over the counter so New Hampshire, the new tourist destination for <laughs> for people in North America. Hope the Indian casinos are are getting ready for the influx of people that are going to be coming into the state to buy to buy ivermectin. Hopefully, hopefully they go one hundred percent with it, and hopefully the markup isn't too bad. 
It is over the counter in Tennessee, and there are pharmacies in Tennessee where you can purchase it online and they will ship it to you out of state. So I don't know if New Hampshire is going to set up a system like that, but they would be wise to do so. And yeah, it's certainly something that we can all keep an eye on so that we can keep our the listenership informed. And there's, there's two caveats to this. Um, number one, folks, watch the price. Don't don't pay ridiculously stupid, stupid, stupid high prices for ivermectin in human pill form if you can just go down to the tractor supply store and buy, you know, a 500 milliliter bottle of the stuff. Um, well, tractor supply might be the wrong example because they're they're really cracking down on stuff. You might need to find other alternatives out there. Okay. But the point is, watch your price, watch your dose. Um, the normal increment of dosage for for um, ivermectin is is by 10 milligrams. So, you know, just make sure that you're comparing your units and see how much you're paying. And don't pay times 100 for something um, if you don't have to. The other thing is to be careful, and I've been saying this for, you know, it's got to be a couple of years now, ever since we started talking about ivermectin, is um, if you're buying the human form, just being the pessimist that I am, and, and all of us talking for the last three years now about all of the deception and lying and, and evil that's been going on in terms of medical services and the pharmaceutical industry, um, I still think that you are, safer isn't the right word. I would rather take still at this point the 1% livestock injectable solution, which you drink orally, um, I would still take it at this point because I have a higher degree of confidence that it's actually going to be ivermectin. I could see them, and we talked about this in the last podcast when they were, you know, screaming with their hair on fire that all of the, the emergency rooms are being overrun with people who are having fatal overdoses of ivermectin. Of course, that was all a lie. It was all a lie. And they're incredibly heavily invested in ivermectin not working and not being effective and so it wouldn't surprise me if they either if they made it a placebo and they were selling placebo tabs as ivermectin i you know i'm not saying that that's what's going on it's just that my spidey sense is is such that still at this point i have a higher degree of confidence that if i take the livestock solution that I'm actually, I know that I'm actually getting ivermectin. I, I, I mean, it's it's basically 100, it's, it's close to a 100% certainty that I am in fact getting ivermectin at, you know, 10 milligrams per milliliter or whatever it is, that it is what it is. I'm just, and we all are, we're so cynical and we're so jaded and we now know how just supremely dishonest and mendacious and fraudulent the pharmaceutical industry is that I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I'm going to buy the livestock injectable and do that for as long as I can. So, and it's cheaper and it's a lot cheaper. I'm just looking at this, um, while you were talking and I apologize, I zoned out because I, I'm no, looking okay. at I'm looking at the uh, um, pharmacy in Tennessee. Um, a five day course of treatment for ivermectin pills is thirty five dollars. So it's not outrageously how many, expensive. How many milliliter? 
can you see what's the total uh, number of milligrams in the five day course? I can't. Because it's also by weight. It is by weight. I think you have to. I think you have to fill all of. Yeah, you have to give them your weight. Oh, so, okay, good. <clears throat> You, you have to, there's a, an extensive questionnaire that you have to fill out. And one of the questions is, you know, your weight. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Australia, speaking of Australia, they also removed their, um, they didn't make it over the counter, but they removed their ban on ivermectin. Previously, you couldn't get a prescription filled for ivermectin unless it was for something like a parasite infection. Yeah. And so they've lifted that now in Australia. So they've restored access to ivermectin in Australia. So I'm telling you, they're walking so much of this back. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to watch the, the controlled well, demolition of this. You already said it, but it's, it's actually not that I'm complaining about any of this, but it actually, there's a weird like sword hanging over. I feel like there's a sword hanging over the world's head because what I think is going on is that they're satisfied that they've, they've poisoned enough people or sterilized enough people. I think that's the thing. We're not going to be able to see the, uh, the sterilization effects of those injections. It's going to take decades. Um, and you were already seeing, we've talked about this, massive, statistically impossibly massive reductions in, li in live births all over the place. In Taiwan, in Germany, in Switzerland, um, in the UK, it's all being documented. Massive through the roof incre increases in infant mortality, stillbirths, miscarriages. And of course, you'll never hear anything about this in the media. But... I think, you know, it's gonna, within the next 10, 15 years, I think there's gonna be a lot of people looking around and, and they, they will want to have at least one child and won't be able to. And then the blind panic is gonna set in of, you know, what is the world going to do? And then that goes to the question of, I don't know if you guys remember, were you watching Glenn Beck like back in the 2010, you know, back when he was I'm on Fox I'm embarrassed to say yes, but yes. Yeah. Back when he was on Fox News and he was he was the big star. He was the Tucker, Tucker Carlson of his day. And one of the things that he talked a lot about and was absolutely right was the unfunded liabilities. Um, just trillions and trillions and trillions and on a global scale quadrillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities and what is that that that's you know government payments that are theoretically owed for social security and all of its global equivalents um, medicare and all of its global equivalents etc cetera, etc cetera. and unfunded liabilities just for the u.s government was in the it was in the hundreds of trillions i want to say it was just impossibly enormous amounts of money, pensions, uh, retirement, and healthcare for, for retirement. And you stop and you look at this and you realize that what, what they might have done here and what the point of all of this might have been is to, is they, they knew that they have to get rid of these these entitlements and these these payments that will be coming due within the next 50 years that they're just they're just simply isn't enough 
money, wealth, anything to be able to cover any of this. And they said, okay, we need to reduce the human life expectancy. We need to reduce fertility and we need to reduce the human life expectancy by 25, 30 years, like right now, right now. And I think that's what the the death injections were about because they're already saying that people who have had multiple doses of that crap, um, that, you know, the heart damage, the myocarditis, the turbo cancers and everything, statistically speaking, looking at actuarial tables and all that, they're, they're estimating that it's possible that this might have knocked 25 years off of average life expectancy in the West. So that's taking it down from 80 to 55. Yeah, I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see an overall reduction in life expectancy is my prediction. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Yep. And fertility. So. Oh, that's without any doubt or question. I think especially the, the young people, the teenagers, the college students, if the myocarditis doesn't get them, they're going, they're going to be sterile. Um, and so you just stop and think about that, that, I mean, I'm 46. So if you're talking about average life expectancy, and of course, you know, I don't have the injections, but I've, I've probably been shed all over. Um, but we're talking about people who've had the injections. If you back that off from 80 to 55, that would mean that I would be statistically actuarially in the final decade of my life. That is creepy. Mm-hmm. Super duper duper creepy. So, and again, I think it all has to do, I think it all has to do with the whole, you know, government entitlements and all of this, all of that crap. I think those chickens came home to roost and they said, we have got, we've got to get people dead before they are old enough to receive social security before they're old enough to receive um, Medicaid or Medicare, excuse me. Um, And I think that's what they're going for. Not 25 years off of it, get everybody dead before. And you know, what, what is the, what's the social security age now? 60, 65 or 67. I think it's 67. Okay. So get people dead before, before their 67th birthday. And you just write that off completely of the, um, unfunded liabilities side of the ledger for the government. And I, mm-hmm. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if when we get to the general, the general judgment, and we see everything that that's exactly what they were doing here. I, I am with you a hundred percent. I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, yeah. and it, it, you know, as the days go on, it unfolds more and more and more. I, it becomes undeniable what you're saying. It really, it's hard to argue with that. Yep. It's just all about as soon getting people dead before, or excuse me, getting people dead while they're still um, generating taxable income, you know? Um, And then as, and as soon as you are no longer generating at least significant taxable income for the government, you're dead. They want you dead. And they want you dead well in advance of that. The younger, the better. The more, the more they can get rid of you, the better. 
you're looking at these technologies coming down the line. I mean, we were in a panic a few years ago before the Corona scam started about the whole um, rapid, rapid, um, rapidly approaching um, technology of self-driving vehicles. And then it was going to put just massive swaths of every economy in the world out of work because, you know, transportation is a massive, massive employment uh, hub for, for the entire human race, moving things around. Um, if you have self-driving vehicles, everybody who drives a truck for a living, who drives anything for a living, um, is then immediately un unemployed. And so there, again, you've got people who are then going to be theoretically um, dependent on the government. Now we have the, the advent of this AI technology and super nerd. I'm sure you could give an entire spiel on this about the, the reality of AI um, being able to put, again, enormous swaths of people completely out of work because the computers will just be able to do everything, including writing, including writing opinion, um, writing novels, writing fiction, producing movies, um, just anything that, that requires quote unquote thinking, they've, they've, they're pushing towards having algorithms that can, that can replace people at a, at a certain degree. Super nerd, what say you about that? For the time being, the idea that an AI could write a screenplay for a science fiction movie is itself science fiction. The AI is just a sophisticated computer program. That's all it is. It was written by a human being. It does exactly what a human being told it to do. Yes, there, there are levels of sophistication that make it way more advanced than if you were interacting with a Google search. But ultimately, this is just human programmed logic that is being executed by a machine. And so what are the limits of that? It's certainly not beyond what a human can do. There, there's a truth in programming that, that if you write the most clever code you can possibly think of, nobody can ever debug it. Um, because debugging is always harder than coding it. Um, it's also true to say that, that you can't write anything smarter than you actually are for the simple reason, you know, to, to quote some Latin, ex nihilo nihi fit, um, out of nothing comes nothing. If you don't have the intelligence to put into the program, it ain't there. It's not going to come from you. Now that this could open a can of worms to of people saying, well, AI is actually preternatural intelligence. Um, maybe, I don't know. Um, if so, it's, it's a pretty dumb uh, preternatural intelligence that's powering it so far because at least for everything I've seen and, and the accounts that I've seen about what um, chat GPT, for example, can can do, it's not bad. It's impressive in, in the idea or in the sense that if you ask it, uh, who is Ann Barnhart and what are her plans for the next five years, it will probably come out with a 70% accurate, but that 30% is such a dead giveaway that it doesn't have any clue who Ann Barnhart is that but, it's but not see, there yet. People, people, but, but people are getting dumber. And so the ability to pick up on that difference is simultaneously eroding. So you've got these two curves that are forming an X. You have the, the capability of the AI is in the upsloping curve. 
and the intellectual prowess of the human race is on a downsloping curve. And I mean, have we crossed? Have we crossed now so that the AI could be could theoretically be above? And so you could you could be, for example, I mean, what's a what's a news outlet? Um, you could be Fox News, and you could just say, okay, we're going to fire all the humans, and we're just going to turn we're just going to turn the AI things loose on writing not only news stories but writing opinion. And then we've got deep fake video, so we've got the computers are able to um, produce the voice and appearance of of a human being and so you could have the computer writing writing the opinion copy and then a an ai generated deep fake video of a human being sitting there presenting it so you know quote unquote tucker carlson could within a few years be a completely a, a non-existent just ai driven um property and people would sit there and lap it up. I'm absolutely convinced. Well, to quote Abraham Lincoln, who, according to Wikipedia, lived before Chat AI or Chat GPT, uh, he said, "You can fool some of the people all the time." And that's always going to be the case. There, there's I forget who made this quote, but any technology that is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Well, if you understand how the magic works, if you understand how the technology works, then you see it as for what it is it's not magic it's just an algorithm that's you know in the case of chat gpt is scraping all public data resources uh wikipedia encyclopedia encyclopedia britannica a lot of news sources and in some yeah. cases can come up with answers that are correct i have yet yeah. to try to give it a programming example but i've heard from some people who who do programming and, and have had it told it to um you know tell chat gpt to write me a react front end to um, display data from the National Weather Service and show me uh, radar coverage of storms in progress. And it can actually do it, but that's not terribly difficult. Um, th this is a pattern that if, if the thing is feeding off of uh, public source code or, or open source code on GitHub or some of the other code repositories, there are lots of examples about how to write this stuff. So even a moderately okay um, program that calls itself AI could probably abstract uh, how to do this. And in that said, even the programmers who, who have used this, or, or I shouldn't say use it, but have given it this challenge to see what they come out with, they say, yeah, it's 80% there. But any programmer will tell you that the most junior programmers can get their 80% of the way there. It's the last 20% that actually takes somebody who knows what they're doing to get it right. So. Yeah maybe they'll get it more advanced. I mean, it's kind of like um, uh, self-driving cars. They're getting better. But even yeah. even so, um, the self-driving cars, people still want to change some of the rules um, with, with the highway administration about how they paint lines on, on the pavement. I don't know if these two go together, but um, in, wherever you drive, have you ever seen... It used to be on the freeways, just white dashed lines separating line, separating lanes. Now it's mm -hmm. white and black, connected. Now I don't mm. I don't think this is actually related to um, self driving cars, but it could certainly help it. I think that is actually related to uh, being able to see at night when it's raining, because white lines tend tend to disappear in wet pavement, ah, but the black okay. doesn't for some reason. 
But in terms of, oh, hey, we've, we've made these different rules about how to mark lanes and how to, how, to, how, to, how to set the visual rules of the road. Are we doing this for humans or are we doing this to enable machines? Pro- I would say probably for humans at this point because I don't think the humans who make the rules, I mean, come on, have you seen the people in Washington? They're not smart enough to make rules for computers. They don't, bear, they don't really know what computers are for. Oh, the people in Washington haven't been writing any any law for decades and decades and decades. Um, the, 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 back to the AI and what you said, your point about how the capability of it is <laughs> there was something going around. I don't know. It's been about a month ago or so, but somebody made a deep a deep fake video of Biden. And I can't remember what he was saying. It was announcing the uh, launching nuclear warheads or something. And the dead giveaway that it was a deep fake video, aside from from what he was saying, was that he sounded way too smart and was speaking way too quickly. You could understand what the <laughs> heck he was saying, yes. You could understand him, yeah, absolutely. And so, boy, talk about nuance. How are you going to get an AI? How are you going to get an AI to um, create deep fake video of dementia? You know, how how do you? That's a nuance that I don't even, I don't know how a, how a computer would even do that. But famous last words, that'll, that'll probably be, you know, the thing that's going around the internet next week is, oh, by the way, AI has figured out how to um, reproduce uh, deep fakes, including Biden's dementia. Yeah. <laughs> well, deep fakes are just a species of pattern recognition, which is a very old computer science program, computer science um, problem or or challenge and in terms of of biden it's a very poor ai who couldn't pick up on the fact that okay let's put this around the other way i would be very impressed if an ai could actually make sense of what biden is saying and if it's that good the irony here is then it would be crap at reproducing an authentic biden because it would then produce something that's intelligible as opposed to somebody who's uh, uh, no joke man uh, 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 corn corn yeah. dog corn puff or whatever his name was exactly exactly, uh, exactly launch the nukes or whatever and it's like okay which way do i get off the stage i mean that's that's the real biden does does yeah. an ai understand that or did it infer correctly all the mumbling in which case when it tries to mimic him it gets it wrong because it's too lucid i mean i'm giving way too much credit to what ai could possibly do but in terms of old people who are heads of state, I know I know we wanted to talk about um, something across the pond because we are five and a half hours away from Charles the Third being crowned, or at least the ceremony for it being kicked off. Oh, good grief! What a train wreck! What an absolute train wreck! What did, what did I send to the to the little show warm up group? Oh, they're they're saying now that Queen Elizabeth in her final days. And apparently she had cancer, and so she knew that she knew that she was not long for the world. Um, but <laughs> that she called uh, Markle evil, and um, that you know Harry even having any sort of a relationship with her was an absolute train wreck. And super nerd, you had a you had a funny line about that. Oh, it, it's because um, he's the stable boy's son. He's not actually part of her progeny. She doesn't care. <laughs> She doesn't care. He's not. She's. He's. He's not even probably. And apparently, Charles would joke about this all the time that he isn't even 
her progeny. But once again, once again, this woman was the most catastrophic failure as any sort of a putative head of state. I don't know, maybe in human history, her 70 year reign, she oversaw a, a civilizational collapse and she signed literally, literally signed off on every step of it. And then she's complaining about her family and her train wreck children that she didn't raise. Um, and now, and now you're getting ready. You're going to have a multi-culty, multi-faith, quote unquote, coronation of a man who is allegedly going to be the sovereign, the head of state, and and the literally the pope of the Anglican Church, defender of the faith. That's that's the whole basis for Anglicanism. He's an, he's an apostate. There are not completely unbelievable rumors that have been floating around for a long time that he did the that he went through the um, Musloid conversion ceremony, which is you know you say you say something about how you believe that that Allah is God or something like that. There's rumors that he did that when he was young and he was in, I believe he was in Turkey um, and he was there for a while and that he quote unquote converted to Islam because he's been an Islamophile his entire adult life. Um, saying, saying just absolutely insane things like the, it's all, all um, art and culture in the world has its source from from Islamic culture and just things that are catastrophically stupid that only Muslims say. Um, and so, yeah, anti-Pope Bergoglio gives um, relics of the true cross that then um, one of one of the cardinals up there, and they're all train wrecks, and it's a it's a big gay circle up there in the UK in terms of the Catholic the Catholic prelates, I know all the listenership must be absolutely shocked to hear that news. So now you're going to have a guy being installed as the Pope of the Anglican Church, which is Charles, being blessed by a Catholic cardinal using relics of the true cross. I mean, you... you Clown world doesn't even do this justice. It's it's absolutely astounding. At this point, I think I think it's probably safe to say that this will probably be the last coronation. I don't I don't I don't see this continuing. I mean, it just it's going to collapse under the weight of its own stupidity and irrationality and internal contradictions. Charles is at best an atheist. He's he's an apostate and he's at best an atheist. Um he he whether or not he's he's an actual Muslim and believes in the in the moon deity Allah and thinks thinks all that is true, uh, who knows? But um, then, uh, sadly, very 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 sadly, there have been several little bits and tidbits of news that have come out from um, Prince William and Catherine Middleton. The one thing that I saw is I think they said that they would have absolutely no problem if one of their children was a sex pervert. Um, and so they're, they're 100% on board with that. 
Prince William went on a trip to Poland not too long ago, uh, just a couple of months ago, and showed up at a gay bar in, I believe, in the middle of Warsaw somewhere, and was had his picture taken, just rolled into this gay bar. Um, wouldn't surprise me if one of their three children, if they inculcate one of those kids, because sexual perversion is largely inculcated, talked about that in my Islamic sexuality, a survey of evil video. Um, we should put that in the show notes. That's the concluding point is that Islamic culture, because there's so much rampant um, pedophilia and child abuse, it's proof in like Afghani culture, where most of the men are homosexual pedophiles and bachabazi and, you know, going to auctions and buying little boys for, for sodomy and so forth. The fact that the vast majority of the male population in Afghanistan is actively sodomitical and pedophilic. And there's hardly any incidence of homosexuality in the female population. What that, what that tells you, you know, you cross, you cross this land border, you cross this imaginary line on the earth, and all of a sudden, all of the men are sodomites. What does that prove? It proves that sexual, that sexual perversion is inculcated. Clearly, clearly proves that it's inculcated. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't one of those three poor children, um, Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis, if their parents are 100% all in on this agenda, um, why wouldn't one of them end up being a sex pervert? Why wouldn't one of them end up declaring that they're the opposite sex at some point? Um, wouldn't surprise me at all if one of the two children that that uh, Harry and, and Smarkle had, if one of, if they inculcate them into being sexually perverted somehow, um, it's incredible. Just, just what a spectacle, what a spectacle and just sad and pathetic. This is the last, I think this is the last whimper, um, of, of the United Kingdom. And frankly, they've got it coming. What a, what a train wreck of a civilization. I have nothing to add to that. And <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be getting up at 5 a.m. to watch the ceremonies or whatever they're doing over there. They can have that. It's very similar to like what happened when Pope Benedict died and they had and they refused to have a state funeral. And they were telling heads of state you may you may not wear anything um any regalia indicative of the fact that you're a head of state. Um head, lots of heads of state were to, were told don't come. Um and Apparently, Charles is doing largely the same thing. They're all going to be relatively casually dressed. Um, uh, Catherine Middleton is not going to be wearing a tiara. Oh, do, and we the slob culture. It's it's Fetterman in his slob culture. Oh, yeah. Wait, is Fetterman the U.S. Here. representative over there for the coronation? No, but I mean, if everyone, if it's like casual Friday at the coronation is, of the yeah. King of England, that just is another, you know, indicator of the whole slob culture of which Fetterman is merely a symptom. Oh, and then Camilla, don't even get me started. So Mrs. Andrew Parker Bowles, Andrew Parker Bowles's wife is apparently going to be crowned the Queen of England. If, I mean... We're at peak absurdity, folks. Peak, peak, peak absurdity. Uh, it's just unbelievable. It's 
I don't know how it could get any any more obviously illegitimate and clown worldish than that, you know. <sighs> Terrible. Well, I've got nothing. Actually, no, I do have one more item on my notes. Um, hmm. Nurse Claire, if you wanted to talk about transmalism, or we could did, we could delay that one more time because again, they're not going to go away. It's not going to go away. <laughs> uh, that's up to you guys. We could fill. We could fill a lot talking about uh, the trans, the trans movement, segueing off of what Anne was saying about one of the royal children, I'm sure will be a sacrificial tranny for the cause. Well, let's save it because I think I think that's at least like a 45 minute long rant and it will be very interesting, Nurse Claire, and we'll have to get Dr. Beep in on this too. Um, I know that Dr. Beep, Dr. Beep is in a city, but it's a... It's a smaller city, but it would be interesting to see if he's seeing the tranny children garbage going on in a smaller U.S. city where he is. You're seeing it, right? You're having to tell people that you won't participate in it. Yes, I see it a lot. But um, I also have to say, I grew up in a small town and that small town has some big brouhaha just it's not this year it was a few years ago I think it was even before the pandemic about I don't know some dude that wanted to go to the prom as a girl or I don't remember the detail it was a some tranny that wanted to go to the prom and take a date and blah 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 so it it's definitely an issue in small town America definitely an issue I don't know if Dr. Beep encounters those patients because he has himself now positioned in a different type of practice. So I, I don't know if he yeah. sees those patients, but um, for people listening to this, I, I doubt there's any listeners that have kids in the public school system. I hope not, well, but maybe, hope or not. maybe maybe well. grandchildren, I don't know. You don't have to look very far. I can almost guarantee you, if you dig into your local public school district, there's likely at least one child. It's that pervasive. And that's why we wanted to talk about it, because I think people have this notion that it's some far-flung oddity that they're going to read about on the internet, or it's an occasional story that pops up on LifeSite, and it's... No. Far and I mean, I can't remember the statistics if it's 20 or 25%, but the current generation, the gen, is it Gen Z, um, you know, that uh, came after the millennials. So we're not talking about the millennials. We're talking about the, the Gen Z, the, you know, high school students right now. Yeah. It, it's something like more than 20% of them identify as either gay or trans yes so this also fits nicely into your remarks about the vaccine being a massive sterilization campaign this is also Mm -hmm. putting these children on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones is irreversible and then they're also being surgically mutilated irreversible obviously these people will be sterile yeah and, and it's it's and a large percentage 
Yes. And homosexuals, by definition, are sterile. So it's Correct. all driving to exactly the same thing, which is yeah. a massive, massive reduction in the human population. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of um, things to talk about with it, with regards to the transism, tran- transgenderism, the gender ideology that's confronting people. Um, so we can say that if you want, or we can we can drop oh, the hammer save on it. it now. Okay. Let's save it because we need to, I need to get in the habit of increasing the frequency of the podcast. Absolutely. I'm in a position now where I can, I can podcast quite easily now. So need to get back up to once a week, super nerd. So let's save some topics. Oh, and the last thing I know this was on our bullet point list and we should say it while it's still timely is congratulations to the sspx on the consecration of the immaculata that was incredibly cool and i posted a link to the live stream and the live stream is now i believe it's a a video that you can go back and slide and watch yeah five five hours long i was i was watching that while i was working and uh, i had the audio off for part of it and at one point I looked over because to see where they were at and there were five fires on the altar. I was like, what in the world is this? I've never yeah. seen or heard of this. So I took a quick screenshot of that and sent it to a few signal groups and including, you know, the Arnold Arnold chat group and also one mm-hmm. where um, Father Z happens to be a participant. And, and I was like, what in the world is this? What's the significance of this? And he says, this goes back to the Old Testament um, purification of the altar because they would burn the sacrifices on the altar. Which yeah. immediately triggered memory of of a, of a sermon I heard once about talking about how in the Old Testament the the sacrifice was was uh, consumed by fire, but in the New Testament the sacrifice is consumed by love. And this was a reference to somebody who was making their their profession as a Carmelite, and they are making themselves the sacrifice on the, the altar yeah. in, in a yeah, sense, yeah. and, and it's it's, yep. a, it's consumed by love instead of fire. And, and that was such a powerful uh, image to see live fire on the altar and and uh <laughs> some of the continuing conversation that chapter is like uh they were asking do they do, they do this in, in the new right and they say yeah but they they, <laughs> they put the fires they put the fire in in like a, a container of some sort because on a wooden altar you don't want to have fire it's like and of course the thought that comes to mind is maybe it's not supposed to be wooden which uh, by the way so i I'm, i made it talking about teasing future topics uh i made a comment on the last podcast about um, the Catholics of the 1960s and 1970s, you know, sitting back and doing nothing when when Vatican II happened and just letting the church go the direction it was. Got an amazing email from somebody who lived through that and and said, no, we didn't sit back and do nothing. Um, And and I I don't want to give away too much of it, but this is going to be an amazing podcast topic. It may be a podcast all to itself. I need to do more research and, and go over the notes some more and have some more emails with this person. But, uh, and also I want to reach out to some people locally who are old enough to have lived through this and get their firsthand accounts. The long story short, but this doesn't give away the story is that I, Anne and I are making the, the, the comment from our point of view, um, seeing the church as we have experienced it. In my case, growing up as a traditional Catholic, never knowing anything else, and in Anne's case, being a convert and then finding tradition and then looking back and having absolutely no idea what happened in the 60s and 70s for Catholics at that point in time. And so it's easy in this perspective to make it's it's like modern woke people looking back at the early uh, American, you know, the, the fathers of the country and saying, you idiots, you own slaves. How how evil. Well, 
um, a lot of people did, and that wasn't it. And not to justify slavery, and maybe that's the wrong analogy to make. But uh, judging things that happened in the past by what you know now is not the right way to do history. And I will freely admit that that's exactly what where my mind went with it. It's also a statement of I don't understand how it all went away. I mean, in, in the sense that anybody who grows up now only knowing tradition, and there are people who fit that in that category, or even if you came from, from no faith at all and came into the church and found tradition, and then you learn about the history of the church and say, how did we go from having this magnificent patrimony to what we have right now? What happened? Well, it was organized. And I don't want to give any more away because honestly, I don't have my notes organized sufficiently to give more of it away. But uh, I'm working on developing that topic and um, and will be part of that to talk about as well. So that is a future podcast coming up. Awesome. All right. Well, shall we wrap it up? Might as well. We're getting pretty close to actually we're about, uh, let's see, 50 seconds from hitting an hour and a half. So there we go. All right. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, suggestions, comments, or good news items, or just items you want to hear about on the podcast. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors. There is a traditional Catholic mass said for all of her benefactors every single day. And of course, every week there is a traditional Catholic Latin Requiem mass said for everybody who died in the previous week. Um, The last time we podcasted, I mentioned a couple of priests who died. And um, I hope this is not a trend going forward, but there has been another trad priest who died. Uh, Father Terrence Gordon died rather suddenly. I, I say rather suddenly. I don't want to say that. Um, maybe I should change the words. He died with little warning as opposed to suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of a heart attack, and uh, he had the consolation of having a priest there to give him the last rites before he passed away. He was his brother. <laughs> The, uh, wow. the the Gordon brothers and the fraternity of St. Peter, there, there were three of them. There are now two. But, yeah, there was one there to give them the last rites, which has got to be um, – it's got to be heart-wrenching and consoling all at the same time. I mean, it, it to, to, to be in a position to see your brother die like that, but at the same time know that you, you gave him all of the help he could possibly want or need to go into eternity, that's yeah. got to be a massive consolation. Um, despite what's going on. But yeah, definitely pray for Father Terrence Gordon and, and for all the priests, uh, living and otherwise. Uh, they, they need our prayers. They, they, they need our help. Otherwise, they're going to be as helpless as we are without them. So definitely don't forget them in your prayers. And also don't forget that the podcast has a patron, St. Tiny Princess. It is not necessary for you to know her, her uh, Christian name. Um, God knows exactly who you're talking about if you make a prayer request and reference St. Tiny Princess. If you want to be even more unambiguous, not that God doesn't know who you're talking about already, you can say St. Tiny Princess, as mentioned on the Barnhart podcast. Um, but yeah, she she has an active ministry already. Uh, it, it's it's um, it's humbling to see the, the people emailing and, and saying that, uh, hey, I, yeah. I, asked, I asked for her prayers for this, and I, and I got an answer, and it's like, Wow, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't doubt the intercession of the of the of the um, community of saints, but it's just so uh, humbling to be uh, at, at a point it's like, yeah, my my daughter is the person um, that people are praying to. That that's kind of wild. <laughs> it's it's not something I would have thought I would ever be saying ten years ago. So, but yeah, so don't forget that that she we, we have a powerful patron. We are connected. If you're hearing this, this uh, audio, then yeah, you're, you're a part of the Barnhart podcast family. And she definitely was a part of that. 
And don't forget also the Barnhart podcast is a value for value podcast. If you are getting some value out of this podcast and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com and you can find information about how to return value uh, on that website. Um, we snuck this podcast in way too quickly and it was only t- uh, two weeks since the last podcast. So there were no donations since the last one to super nerd okay. media, but um, Hey, there, there's time for the, for the next one. So I'm sure we'll get something. Maybe even Rick James will show up. Hey, <laughs> right on. And with that, I turn it over to you for Matthew seventeen twenty. Keep praying folks every single day, our fourfold intention that, um, Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, and for the integrity and for the Petrine Sea in and of itself, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Taco Mama demon, pray for us. Amen. And now that I double-checked my notes, if I didn't mention Bruce on the last podcast as making a donation through Amazon, then let me cover that now. Um, My mistake saying there were no donations. I think there was one. April 25th Bruce, was... B- wait, Bruce or, Bruce or Caitlin? Uh-huh, sorry, bad joke. Bad joke. Bad. Sorry, Bruce. This this is <laughs> sorry, the wrong Bruce. podcast for something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's the next episode. Exactly. I, I, I just teed up the next episode 191. There you uh, go. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you didn't tee off Bruce in the process. Um, no. <laughs> Nurse, Nurse Claire, any final comments? Nope. Just keep praying because... Um... Things are going to get, I, I think we were in a little bit of a lull and it's going to start to pick up again. So I keep agree. your, I agree. keep your Catholic glasses on, make sure you're looking at everything uh, with really a discerning eye. Mm-hmm. Amen. Be skeptical, be prayerful, be repented, be confessed. And until next time, I'm super nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks guys. God bless. I have nothing to add to that.